Take your Bible, let's go to John chapter 6, if you will. John chapter number 6. We'll read two verses here, the sixth chapter of John for our text this morning. John chapter 6, verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. The greatest work that you will ever do in life is to believe. The greatest work you will ever do in your life is to believe. By this time in the semester, we have heard it. I'm sure that we believe it, that the harvest truly is plenteous. We understand, along with that thought, that the laborers are few. We recognize that the population continues to grow, and with it, sin abounds, and the need for people to know Jesus Christ becomes greater and greater and greater with every passing day. The opportunities to serve Jesus Christ are literally unlimited. We have these ministries here today and tomorrow Searching for our graduates, I think last I heard, and this was a couple of weeks ago, about 120 positions needed to be filled by this group of folks that's here today. We don't have that many seniors. Great opportunity. So what do we do to do the work of God? I think we're a generation that wants to do a great work for God. I sense in this student body that there are men and women here who desire greatly to be used by God. And while for some graduation is months away and others it's years away, I believe that in the heart of hearts of our students, there's a desire to do something for Jesus Christ with our life. We see the need to evangelize the world. We desire that a great awakening of revival could once again take place across our nation. We would love to see the revitalization of Christian education across the land. We would love to rebuild the foundations of our homes. We would love to plant churches, get into limited and non-access nations with the gospel. And the disciples no doubt felt the same. They have been with Jesus for a time. They have seen multitudes of people that have gathered to hear him preach. They have seen the response to his miracles. And no doubt these disciples were thinking much as we're thinking today. Man, there is so much to do. And they asked the question, what shall we do that we might work 
the works of God. They said, Jesus, what shall we do that we might get all this accomplished? And the response of Christ is stunning in verse 29. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Your work is to believe. Your work is faith. Now, at first thought, that seems contradictory. Your work is faith. Your work is to believe. But we see in the Word of God where he reminds us over and over again the importance of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The apostles, they, they said unto the, him in Luke 17 and verse 5, increase our faith. They recognized that what was needed in their life was faith. So, do you have faith in faith? If thou canst believe, Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believeth. Do you have faith in faith? Now, I want to show you this morning, primarily from Hebrews chapter 11, some elements to a God-pleasing faith. I find, first of all, the substance of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of faith. What is the substance of faith? What is the evidence that we're looking for? How does God give us evidence? How does God give us substance for this matter of faith? Well, I think he gives us evidence through his creation. The Bible goes on in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So, that just blew evolution right out of the water. The things which are seen, what we can see today, did not come from things which do appear. In other words, God created the heavens and the earth. They did not evolve from something we can see to something now that we can see and something else that we can see. No, no. God created the world by the spoken word. And we have the evidence, we have substance for our faith in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. 
In Psalm 97 and verse 6, the Bible says, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 17, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God didn't leave himself without a witness. He gave us creation. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We have substance to our faith. We have evidence for our faith. Why? Because what we can see in the general creation of God. Just look around. Just observe. And everywhere you look, you see the fingerprint of God upon this creation. Our solar system is six billion miles across. The galaxy that we live in, in this solar system, is called the Milky Way. No one knows where it got that name. I think it was when the cow jumped over the moon. But <laughs> the Milky Way is shaped like a giant bowl. If you could, if you could step back in, in the universe and look at the Milky Way from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl or a giant dish. Now, if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second, that's moving. Wouldn't it be great to be able to travel at the speed of light? I, I, I could speak a word, go home, kiss my wife, come back, say the next word. <laughs> Amazing. The speed of light. If you could travel at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross the galaxy called the Milky Way. Our Earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's, it's 25,000 miles around the globe. The sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the Earth. There are comets that have been sighted that are larger than that. In 1811, there was a comet spotted that had a head that was 112,000 miles across. It had a tail 110 million miles long. The supernova... Uh, has 10 septillion. That's a 10 with 24 zeros after it. If you're taking notes, you have to tape on another page to complete that line. That's a 10 with 24,000, uh, 10 with 24 zeros after it, 10 septillion. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You know that our Earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you go into a library or an office and there's a globe sitting on a table, it's always tilted. Did you know that our Earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space? They tell us that if our Earth was tilted just one degree, one direction, we would all freeze to death. If it was tilted one degree the other direction, we would all burn up. 
Our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space. And by the way, Job 26, 7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So that globe in the library, it's on a stand that holds it at that degree of, ta- of, degree of tilt. But not this planet, not the one you're sitting on right now. It's hanging on nothing. And while you're thinking about and musing about the fact that it's tilted at an exact degree of angle and hanging on nothing, remember, it's also spinning. Once every 24 hours. Exactly one revolution every 24 hours. And as you're thinking about the fact that it's tilted at an angle, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Evidence substance for our faith. Your body has 208 bones in it when you're born. You have 600 muscles, some of which you haven't used in a while. (laughs) You have 970 miles of blood vessels running through your body. That's from here to Denver. 970 miles of blood vessels carrying nutrients, oxygen, blood, etc., through your body so that you can exist. We have 10 million nerves in our body. That's why we sell so much coffee in the Great Awakening. <laughs> we have 4,000 taste buds on our tongues. We have 20,000 hairs inside each one of our ears. That should be encouraging to some of you. (laughs) Hey, if you go bald, just say, hey, pal, I got 20,000 right in here. You just can't see them. You have 3,500 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin on your body. That's a great thought. (laughs) You know, when you have your first date and you're not sure what to talk about, there's that dead silence. Just, you know, look at her and say, my, you have the most beautiful sweat tubes I've ever seen. (laughs) We have 600 million air cells taking air into our lungs as we breathe. We breathe in 4,200 gallons of air every day. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through our body every day evidence, substance. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. The substance of our faith, evidence of creation, but we also have evidence in the canon. We have evidence of God. We have substance of God within the canon of the word of God. Hebrews 11 and verse 3 goes on to say, through faith we understand that the heavens were made, how? By the word of God. Our salvation, faith, cometh through hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Listen, what you hold in your hand is substance. It is evidence of God. It is evidence and substance for your faith. Aren't you glad that we have an inspired word of God? 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, for reproof. God has given us His Word, and He's inspired it. He breathed it through those human authors onto the pages, and we have His very Word today, knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The inspired Word of God, the inspiration of Scripture is evidence for our faith. Not only is it inspired, but it is infallible. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Jesus said, thy word is truth. The psalmist said, thy word is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Thy words of the, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, infallible. The word of God is also immutable. I'm glad it never changes. It's forever settled in heaven. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old. Thou hast founded them forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The grass withereth, the flower falleth, but the words of our God shall stand forever. Evidence, substance for our faith is found in creation. It's found in the canon, but it's also found in our conscience. You see, Romans 2 and verse 15 says that God has revealed himself to us through our conscience, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. That was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. C.S. Lewis in one of his books points out the fact that there has never been a civilization, civilization discovered anywhere on earth whose laws did not mirror exactly the Ten Commandments. Civilizations have been discovered that never saw a Bible, never heard a missionary, but their laws, there's never been a civilization that said it's okay to steal, or it's okay to kill, or take someone else's property, or someone else's wife. The laws of civilization that have all been discovered in time past have all mirrored the Ten Commandments. Why? Because God wrote it on our hearts. It is evidence. It is substance for our faith. You see, young people, our faith is not a blind faith. Faith is not abstract. It's not mystical. It's based on substance. It's based on evidence, evidence in creation, evidence in the canon, evidence in our own conscience. But notice, secondly, the strengthening of our faith. Some of us might think, well, you know, I'm just not a very trusting person. Faith comes hard for me because I have a difficult time trusting. I, I've been hurt. I've been burned. I've been let down. I counted on someone, and, and they let me down. 
Or we might think, you know, I'm just kind of a, an analyzing kind of person. I have a lot of questions, and, and, and so faith is, is difficult for me. I, I, I want to have faith, but I, I, I'm reluctant to just kind of step out by faith and trust God. I, I, I'm reluctant to believe that God can, 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 can work through my faith. And I, I, I'm just a little more worrisome. I, I have some fears. I, I, I'm, I'm more analytical. I, I'm more apprehensive. How do we strengthen our faith? Notice faith is strengthened by a proper object. Faith in faith will fail. Faith in yourself will fail. Faith in traditions will fail. Faith in people sometimes fails. Faith in circumstances will fail. Faith has one object, God. What will strengthen your faith is not the fact that maybe this happened in your life, or hopefully this will happen in my life, or I just believe that something good will happen. No, your faith has an object, and that faith is God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And as you go through the book of Hebrews, you find that the faith that those people demonstrated, that we admire from a distance now as we look back upon their lives, you'll notice in all of those verses that describe them, where is their faith? Was their faith in, in their intelligence? Was their faith in their ability? Was their faith in their personality? Was their faith in the circumstances of their day that caused all these things to happen? No. Abel offered unto God by faith a more excellent sacrifice. Enoch, by faith, he pleased God in verse 5. In verse 7, Noah was, was warned of God of the coming flood. And so by faith, he builds the ark. In verse 10, Abraham is a builder, and he says, my builder and maker is God. Sarah judged him faithful who had promised Abraham according that God, verse 19. Verse 27, Moses, seeing him who is invisible. You see, their faith had an object. Your faith is strengthened by the proper object. Your faith is going to dwindle if you're trusting yourself. Your faith is going to dwindle if you're trusting the institution that you happen to be a part of. But when you put your faith in God, it will be strengthened because God never fails. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. God will perhaps put you in some circumstances in life to force you to trust God, to, to channel you, to look to God. Some of you are in that situation right now. You have no other options for finances. You have no other options for God's uh, plan in your life. You've got to look to him. And God will bring you into those situations in your life to, to strengthen your faith in the proper object. But faith is also strengthened 
by a prompt obedience. In Hebrews chapter 11, it did not make human sense for Abel to take an innocent little lamb and kill it. It did not make sense for Noah to build an ark when it had never rained. It did not make sense for Abraham to leave a country that he was familiar with and comfortable in and go to a place that God was going to tell him about as he went. It did not make sense for Moses to leave a comfortable life in Egypt, ascending up to a place of leadership to to, to say no to all of that and, and, and follow God. It didn't make sense for Gideon to reduce his army from 30,000 to 300 in order to defeat the Midianites. But in every one of those situations, there was an obedience. And that obedience strengthens our faith. It's not always easy when God calls. It's not always easy when God uh, gives a direction in our life. And we hesitate and we try to analyze and, and, and we worry and we have fears, but faith is strengthened by a prompt obedience. Have you heard of the paralysis of analysis? I'm afraid sometimes we try to analyze everything in our life. We got to have all the answers in order to obey God. Listen, when God speaks, when God leads, obey and your faith will be strengthened. I love the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer there in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14. They're up against the Philistines and Saul, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's quit and, and many of the people were living in fear and some had even defected over to the other side. But Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let us go over unto these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. We see faith there in Jonathan. He's just one person. And the Philistines, they have 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and foot soldiers you can't even number. They're like the sand of the sea. Uh, Two guys going against that crowd. Boy, you talk about doing a little analysis. That's not going to work. But Jonathan said, let's go. And his arm bearer says, do all that's in thy heart. I'm with thee. A prompt obedience And you study that story as they stepped out by faith and said, we're going to discover ourselves. We're going to let them see us. That God wins an amazing victory there over the Philistines by bringing an earthquake and they begin to defeat each other. And a great victory is wrought for Israel. Why? Because of a prompt obedience by faith. Faith is strengthened by a proper object. It's strengthened by a prompt obedience. It's strengthened through a presented opportunity. Gideon's faith, if you study Gideon, his faith grows as he takes a step at night to tear down all the false idols. His faith there maybe isn't complete, as we would say. It's not very mature, perhaps. He knows what God has said. He knows that God wants him to be this valiant leader, but, but man, these are his dad's idols. This is going to cause some, some, some reaction, and, and so he does it at night. But he does it. He obeys. And because of that faith, 
his faith begins to grow. As he takes that step of obedience, as he takes that opportunity to obey God, all of a sudden we see Gideon more than willing to let God take his army from 30,000 down to 300. Well, you got to have a lot of faith now. Maybe he had a, a, a smaller amount of faith or an immature faith as he, as he, as he tears down those idols. He's, he's, he's concerned, is this going to work? Boy, Lord, I hope you got my back here. I'm in trouble. But he obeys. He takes the opportunity that God puts before him, and then God increases his faith to win a great battle. We see David's faith growing as he kills a lion and a bear. And as a result of that faith back there, he had the faith to go out against a man nine feet, nine inches tall, who carried 125 pounds of armor, that had a spearhead that weighed 25 pounds. David's not afraid of him. He's got a slingshot. No. He said, the battle's the Lord's. You see, his faith had increased with the present opportunity. Peter's faith is maybe a little immature as he denies the Lord around a fire one day. But boy, a few chapters down the road, we see him preaching with power, and 3,000 are being saved at Pentecost. Young people, don't run from opportunity. Exercise your faith. If you want to build some physical muscle, you've got to get in that, that fitness center. You've got to get in that weight room, and, and you, you've got to work out. And the more you work out, the stronger your muscles are going to become. And the same is true spiritually of your faith. If you never exercise your faith, if you never take the opportunities that are before you, if you keep tracks in your pocket but you never hand them out, you're never going to believe that we can have revival in America. If an opportunity to serve comes along and, well, you know, I better check my schedule. I think I might have some homework. Look, look, take the opportunities that are in front of you. Your faith will be strengthened. Listen, God has put you in a place where he's exercising your faith. You've got a school bill. Okay, don't quit. Amen. He's trying to strengthen your faith. One of these ministries seniors is here, and they're saying, hey, we could use you, man. Your resume lines up exactly what we need. Hey, don't say, I don't want to live in Florida. It's hot there. They have air conditioning. They have umbrellas. We don't know anything about umbrellas here. They have them in Florida. Look, don't, don't run from opportunities. It'll strengthen your faith. When I was 24 years old, I was traveling with evangelist Joe Boyd. And I, I was his errand boy. I was doing whatever he needed me to do. I did his laundry every week. I made his bed in the morning. I got him up in the morning. I made his breakfast. I ran his book table. I did children's meetings. I, I did whatever he told me to do. We were out here in Los Angeles preaching revivals. And Brother Boyd got sick. He got real sick. He got some kind of a bug, and I mean, it took him down. Brother Joe didn't get sick very often. He was an All-American football player at Texas A&M, won the national championship in 1939, had the national championship ring that he wore every day, drafted by the Washington Redskins, playing the NFL. Dr. Boyd was a strong man physically, but he got sick, and it took him down. And he managed to finish the meeting in, in L.A., but, but he knew he wasn't going anywhere. 
fast. And so about Thursday, that meeting, he called the pastor in Phoenix, unbeknownst to me. That was our next meeting over in Phoenix. And he said to the pastor, he said, Pastor, I am deathly ill. I've been to the doctor, and he says, I've got some kind of a bug. He's given me some medication. He thinks I'll be okay in a week. He said, now our meeting starts Sunday or Monday night. He said, I realize that, and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to make it. But he said, I got a preacher boy with me. He'll make it. He said, I'll have him drive my motor home, and he'll set up there at the church, and he'll preach Monday and Tuesday night, and hopefully I'll be well enough to come in Wednesday. Now, I didn't know about any of this. <laughs> the pastor said, great, send him on. So now he tells me. And I'm telling you, I went into fear mode. I mean, I'd, I'd preached a little bit to kids, but I mean, preaching a revival. This was a church in Phoenix running a, about three, four hundred, and, and Brother Joe had been with this pastor seven or eight times before. They were expecting Brother Boyd to come, and, 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 and all of a sudden, I'm driving the motor home all by myself, cross country. You know, I, I'm scared to death. But you know what? I just said, Yes, sir. I had no idea what I was doing. I thought, what am I going to preach Monday night? What am I going to preach Tuesday night? What if I mess this up? What if everybody gets mad by Tuesday night and nobody comes Wednesday night when Brother Joe's here? I mean, I get fired. I mean, I, I began to have these, these, these panic attacks, you know. But I thought, you know what? Here's a great opportunity. I got in that motorhome, and I drove that thing, pulling that little car behind it, went down the highway like I was an evangelist. <laughs> I got to Phoenix, met the pastor. I was glad he was shorter than me. We struck up a good friendship right away, and that church had been praying and preparing. And you know, they never missed a beat. That pastor just told them, hey, we don't know this guy. We don't know this young kid that's coming, but we're going to let him preach to us. And boy, they were ready for those sermons. And I'll tell you, God began to work in that meeting. We didn't even need Brother Joe. <laughs> I called him Wednesday. Don't eat, you don't have to come. Just, just stay where you are, man. This thing's on. No, I didn't do that. But you know what? It strengthened my faith. I began to realize, you know what? God, God could maybe use me. You know, I, man, I, I took this step. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I was scared to death to preach. I, I, I was scared to death to even drive that motor home thinking I'd get in a wreck or something. I mean, I, I, I thought about all kinds of things, but I'm glad that I took that opportunity to step out. It strengthened my faith. So the strengthening of faith, the substance of faith, but notice finally this morning, the sustaining of faith. And here's where I think I can help you if you'll let me. So stay with me for, for five or 10 minutes here. The Bible sometimes alludes to what we might call large faith. For example, in Luke 7 and verse 9, when Jesus heard these things about the centurion whose servant was ill, and he came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you'd just speak the word, he'd be well. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned him about and said unto the people, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So it appeared there that the Lord pointed to this man, this centurion, who had a large faith. Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this. 
I've never seen this before. I've never seen so great a faith. So we would think there that there's a, a large faith. Then it seems that there are times in Scripture where Jesus points out a lack of faith. So we got this centurion who seems to have this, this large faith, but then there are times where Jesus appears to say about a group of people or someone that they, they lack faith. For instance, in Matthew chapter 13, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So he comes to this place. He wants to do something. He wants to pour out his power there and do a great thing. But, but he says, no, nah, let's move on. There's no faith. There's a lack of faith. So we got large faith. We got a lack of faith. And somewhere in between, we find oftentimes the phrase, O ye of little faith. Right? Remember those? There's actually several of them. There are Matthew 6.30, Matthew 8.36, Matthew 16.8, Luke 12.28, and Matthew 14.31. So five times in the New Testament, Jesus gives the expression, O ye of little faith. So what does this mean? Some people just have large faith, I guess. I don't think I'm that person. Some people have a lack of faith, and I would have to say there are times where, yeah, I just don't have any faith in that. And then there appears to be people who have little faith. Interestingly, I think we're seeing that all wrong. In one of these instances, Luke 14, I'm sorry, Matthew 14, when Jesus says, O ye of little faith, the context there is Peter walking on the water. Remember the story? Disciples are sent over to the other side. Jesus doesn't go with them. He goes up in the mountain to pray. The disciples head across the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up. Pretty common occurrence in the New Testament. Storm comes up. The disciples, they're frightened because they've been on this water many times, but they've never seen a storm like this one. And they're doing everything they can to lighten the boat, to, to get that thing across, but nothing's working, and they're terrified in this storm. And all of a sudden, they look out, and Jesus is walking on the water. Whoa. They're not sure at first that it's him. They think they're seeing a ghost or something, but Jesus speaks to them, and they recognize, that's the Lord. And you remember Peter? Peter was... Peter was the one that always responded to these things first. And he says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me that I come unto thee on the water. Now, let me ask you something. How much faith would it take to step out of a boat in the middle of a storm and walk on water? I think that's in the large faith category, don't you? I mean, how much faith would it be to, to take a step off this platform and, and plan on continue walking? I think that's in the large category. I'm not going to test my faith here. <laughs> it would take a lot of faith for somebody to step out of a boat and walk on water, and Peter does it. He steps out, and he walks on that water for a while. But then he sees the wind and the waves boisterous, and he begins to sink, doesn't he? And he says, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus say? Oh, ye of little faith. To me, 
Peter's exercising a large faith. Take a lot of faith to step out of that boat. But now, as he's sinking, Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. So little cannot possibly refer to the amount or the quantity of faith. When Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, he was speaking of the duration of faith. You see, Peter had faith to step out of that boat. He believed God. He's looking at the very object of his faith. And he's saying, I know this can happen because I believe in you. And he steps out of that boat. That's great faith. But when he took his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink, his faith now becomes little faith because it did not endure. Did you know that Jesus said, if you have faith as the grain of mustard seed, ye shall say to that mountain, be thou removed, and it shall remove. When I was in Israel, the guide one day walked over to a bush. It was a little bit larger than this display here, about probably this high and kind of round. And my wife and I were standing there, and he took one of the branches of that bush, and he, he kind of shook it over his hand. And he held his hand toward me, and his hand was covered with, with a film of green, sort of yellowish-green powder that had come off of that bush. It looked like somebody took some baby powder and just kind of on his hand. You couldn't, you couldn't decipher it. It was just, just a film on his hand of yellow-green powder. And he held that toward me, and he said, John, do you know what this is? I said, no. He said, this is the mustard tree. And while I'm looking at that, you cannot decipher one grain of that mustard seed from another grain. They're all just kind of a film, a powder on his hand. And as I'm looking at that, he turned this way toward a mountain. And he looked back at me and winked. <laughs> Lesson learned. Jesus said, you don't need lots of faith to move a mountain. All you need is the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. So when the apostles said, increase our faith, they were not asking for more. They were asking for endurance of their faith. Listen, you exercise great faith in coming to West Coast Baptist College. But if you're not careful, God will have to say to you, oh, you have little faith when you quit before you graduate. God wants your faith to endure. He wants it to be sustained. Perhaps today we should pray that prayer. Lord, increase my faith. Faith to keep going. Faith to carry on. Faith to finish. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Will you? Will your faith endure? Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord,
Our work is faith. Lord, help us work a little more at that. We get so busy. We got so many projects to get done, and we got ministry again this weekend, and and Lord, it, it becomes overwhelming at times. Lord, help us to catch something today that would resonate in our heart that our greatest work is faith. Our greatest work is to believe. Not just blindly, we have substance, we have evidence. And Lord, may our strength be, may our faith be strengthened by the object of our faith, by the obedience of our faith, by taking the opportunities that are before us. And then, Lord, may our faith endure. May it sustain throughout life. May we not be a fast starter and a, a quitter. But help us to, like Paul, run our race set before us. And look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Speak to our hearts today. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the music's playing. Perhaps just like the apostles of old, Lord, increase my faith. Not in, a, not in, not in amount, but in endurance. There's reason to have faith. There's substance. There's evidence. That faith will strengthen as you get your eyes upon the Lord, obey his word, and take every opportunity to serve. 